Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a series in the book of 1 Corinthians called A Better Way. We're learning that the letter Paul wrote the church in Corinth shows us a better way to be God's people in this world. Thanks for joining us. Maybe you've heard the story about how there was an airplane with five people on it once, and there was a pilot, there was a doctor, there was a lawyer, there was a pastor, and there was a young kid. And uh, all of a sudden, the pilot came over the sound system and said, Mayday, Mayday, the plane is going down. We only have four parachutes, and uh, I have a family at home, so you guys decide what you're going to do, but I'm taking one of them. Jumped out of the plane, left three parachutes, four people. The doctor says, you know, I'm in the business of saving lives. I think I'd probably need to use that other parachute that's available, so I'm going to use it. He jumps out. Now there's only two parachutes, three people. The lawyer says, you know, I actually have won a lot of cases. I, I don't mean to brag, but I think I'm probably the smartest person in the world, and I think I should definitely take one. So he takes one, jumps out. Now, you know, there's two people left, and the pastor says, you know, I've lived a long life. You're young. Uh, I know I'm going to heaven. You go ahead and take the last one. And the kid said, uh, actually, why don't you take this one? I'll take the other one. The smartest man in the world just jumped out of the plane with my backpack. And it is so easy to sometimes overrate ourselves and think we're smarter than we are. And the consequences can be devastating. And really, that's the backdrop of what we're going to study in 1 Corinthians today. It was last week as well. And so would you mind opening your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 2? We're going to go there next in our ongoing series called A Better Way as we study the letter to the 1 Corinthians. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians almost all of 2018. We'll take a break uh, in the summer. But um, if you want to turn to 1 Corinthians 2. Now, if you're using a black Bible, it's on page 924. Uh, 1 Corinthians is in the last fourth of the Bible. And uh, so you can find it there. We're going to look at chapters 2, verses 6 through 16 today. And the message is entitled, The Spirit of God. I'll explain why in just a little bit. But when you get your Bible open, do you mind looking back to chapter 1? Steve had such a helpful message last week. And I wanted, he, he mentioned something last week that I want to highlight this week. In verse 22, Jews demand signs. In other words, they, show me something powerful. Show me a miracle. That's what uh, Jewish people, Paul says, were looking for at that time. Greeks, which is where Corinth was in Greece... Greeks look for, what's the word there, friends? Wisdom. So this idea is, is that uh, they, they paid a lot of attention to knowledge. Practical knowledge, applied knowledge, but they paid a lot of attention to being smart. They loved when speakers could get up and make them feel like they were smart too. It was what they went after. So if you're following along the notes, what I want you to see, this is why Paul in part is writing this letter. Wisdom, in quotation marks, wisdom has puffed up these Corinthians with pride. Wisdom has puffed up these Corinthians with pride. They are smart about what they know, and without realizing it, they're starting to overrate themselves. How is that showing up? Well, it's showing up by the way that they are competing and comparing themselves and saying, I follow this teacher, and they make me smarter than you. I think that teacher's smarter than your teacher. And there just became this spirit that was like, na, 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 kind of in the church. 
So Paul goes, oh my goodness, something's gone wrong. This is not what happens when God gets his way. There's a better way than that. What happened? And he begins to go after that. Now, later in 1 Corinthians 8, this won't be the last time this subject comes up. 1 Corinthians 8, 1, look at this verse uh, here on the screen. Let's read it together. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Now, what he's saying here is not that God's against knowledge. Please don't hear that. But there's a form of knowledge that if we're not careful, the way we handle knowledge, we can go to one of two extremes. Sometimes Christians have been against, they've been anti-intellectual. They say, you know, it's not about getting, it's not about growing in our knowledge. Well, yes, it is. But other people have gone, it's all about my knowledge. Really? That's probably an extreme too. So there's something about the opportunity to learn, explore, grow in our knowledge. That's not the problem. It's how we handle it and what effect it has on our life. Just like that guy jumping out of the plane. And so the Corinthians had begun to go down that way. And Paul says, wow, 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 be careful. Be careful what you do. Even though you're seeking wisdom and knowledge, be careful how you handle that. So if you're following along in this next line of the notes, he's going to say, starting in verse 6, that God's wisdom isn't like the wisdom of this age. Paul says God's wisdom isn't like the wisdom of this age. And friends, think about this. This is part of the reason why this is so tricky. All of us are tempted to find something to boast in. We all want to be able to be proud of ourselves in some way. And while that may not be such a bad thing, it can lead to just all kinds of trickiness. So some people look, I'm proud of my house. I'm proud of my my bank account. I'm proud of my knowledge. I'm proud of my degrees. I'm proud. You can pick whatever you want. But if we're not careful, we can be proud in the wrong things. And Steve talked about that last week, about glorying in the cross instead of the human ways. This week, he's going to talk about some more of that. So uh, let me just read verses. Uh, I'll start with verse 4. And then I'll read through verse 9, and let's just see this as we, again, see the context. So Paul's reminding them how he came to them first in Corinth and how he preached the message. There had been, Christianity had not been in Corinth until Paul got there. So he says, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, which is what you guys are into there in Greece and Corinth. But he said, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So that your faith, your trust, your reliance on God might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. God's got to do something supernatural or it's not going to happen. So verse six, we do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature. Mature doesn't mean those who have been uh, the, you know, around the longest or are the oldest. Mature is a posture of teachability. People that are mature are those that have received the message of the cross those who are growing that way, people who don't believe they've arrived, who don't believe they're the smartest people in the world, who embrace the posture of humility. Those are mature people. That's the mature posture. People that say, I know I'm learning, but I know there's so much I still don't know. So then he says, but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human 
mind has conceived the things God has prepared for those who love him. And then it stops for a second. And before I go on, let me just say a few things about that. Do you notice how he says, what no eye, what no ear? Here's what I want you to see. It's kind of a tip of what the wrong pursuit of knowledge can be. Here it is. If you're following along, the knowledge we get with our five senses is good, but it has limits. The knowledge we get with our five senses is good, but it has limits. Here's the way that the world operates as far as worldly wisdom. If I can't explain it and I can't understand it, then it can't be true. Everything is about this world and about my capacity or about human capacity. I may not be the only one, but if you put together what all human beings know, if they can't explain it, if we can't understand it, then it's not true. And Paul just says, look, God made us to grow in knowledge. That's a good thing. But it has limits. It's not unlimited. And therefore, we have to walk around conscious of that. We have to just say, look, my five senses are an incredible gift. I want to use them well. But they can trick me or they can be limited at times if I'm not careful. I need to know that there's more than just my five senses or this world to explain reality. And while I'm grateful for all the things that can happen. Therefore, the scientific method can be a tremendous thing. But it can only describe, it cannot prescribe things. It can't explain everything. And therefore, we just have to understand it has limits. But it's also a wonderful thing. So again, how do we live with that kind of tension? How do we not say it's all about what I know or I'm smarter so I don't have to pay attention to this? Or not? How, do we, how do we deal with that tension? And, I, and I'll just tell you, the reason why I need this message is because every week, every week, I am tempted to trust in my knowledge to become arrogant, to become cocky. There's not a week that goes by. This isn't a tension I have to deal with. Now, I don't know if it's one you deal with, but it is for me. It's what the Corinthians were struggling with. And Paul has to say, whoa, 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 whoa. Let me just try and go at that kind of potential puffed upness and arrogance. Remember that Jesus died on a cross of humiliation. He flew under the radar of that, and that's why they missed it. When he says the rulers of this age didn't understand it, You need to know, these are some of the smartest people that have ever walked the earth. The Roman Empire, at its prime, was one of the greatest governments that's ever existed in human history. And they missed it. And the leaders, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, knew the Old Testament backwards and forwards better than, they would make all of us feel humiliated in a room if we were going that direction. They missed it. Because God didn't do it the way they were expecting with their own smarts. And now he says, but here's another reason why. You need to know that the reason why this is such an important message is because only the Holy Spirit can help you understand it. You'll never be able to do it even on your best day, as smart as you get. So this message is called the Spirit of God. And I want to talk to you the rest of the time today about the Spirit of God and how he works. And I'm not going to be a comprehensive message. There's no way to get the time to that before communion. But I want to talk to you about what this passage says, as well as give you some extra tools. So um, again, why do I want to talk about the Spirit of God? I said we stopped at verse 9, right? And uh, did you notice that it says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived. And I said, we're going to stop right there? Because a lot of times that gets quoted at, at funerals. They'll go, you know, we'll just have to wait till heaven. One day I was teaching like that in a church service, and a guy came after me. He says, have you ever read verse 10? 
I said, well, I thought I have. He said, you must have missed it. Because verse 10 says more than you're saying. So look at verse 10. These are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. Are they just about heaven someday? No. God has already done, but we need his spirit to understand them. So, wow, I'd never seen that before, and that was really helpful. And that is where the spirit starts getting mentioned. Verse 4 is the first time, and then between verses 10 and 15, spirit, at least in the New International Version, the spirit will be mentioned 10 times. And so as I'm studying this, I'm going, I think this is probably about the spirit. And then verse 1 of chapter 3 is about the spirit. 19 times in 1 Corinthians, the spirit's mentioned. 11 or 12 of them are right here at the chapter 2 and the beginning of verse chapter 3, verse 1. So I thought, oh my goodness, so why is the spirit so important? Because if you're following along in the notes, here's the first idea. Without his spirit, we can't begin or grow in the Christian life. Without his spirit, we can't begin or grow in the Christian life. Do you believe that? Uh, in, in, in most American churches, we believe that all you've got to do is share the right information with people and they'll be changed. Don't get me wrong. We need the right information. The truth matters. But so many parents say, well, I raised my kid in the church and they don't believe. What happened? Well, I'll tell you what. Because it's only a miracle of the Holy Spirit that any of us ever believe. We can't just teach all the right information. We can't just do all the right things. We need the Holy Spirit of God. It's humbling to all of us. And we can't explain how God works, but we need to be humble about that. And so this is just a reminder. So let me just pray. Then we're going to talk about the Spirit of God, how he works, and how that applies to us as we take communion. Now, Lord, I... It's just the humor of God that you have me preach some weeks. But I thank you that this is good news about the Spirit of God. Help us hear it. Help us get to know your Spirit better. Use this message, if you will, to grow us up in Jesus Christ. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so um, if, uh, when we talk about without his Spirit, we can't begin or grow in the Christian life. Um, here's John 3. Jesus had a conversation with a guy named Nicodemus one day. And this, Jesus says this. I'm not making this up, okay? So Jesus replied. Nicodemus is a religious leader. Again, one of the smartest guys of all the religious teachers in Israel. He knows the Bible well, but something's missing in his life. So he comes to Jesus by night, and he starts to compliment Jesus. Say, we've noticed you're a good teacher. There's something God's with you. And Jesus interrupts him and says, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean? exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. So he's saying is, look, the Holy Spirit is vitally important to your life. You can't even get started. And you definitely can't grow without the ministry, the work of the Holy Spirit. So if you'd turn your notes over to the back there, I want you to see... Uh, that this is just a simple overview of the Holy Spirit. Let me just mention several things you may want to write down. First, if it would help you to listen 
more uh, messages on the Holy Spirit than we can possibly do in this little section right here. In 2008, if you write Overflow 2008 on your notes there, you can go to the message archives on our website. And Steve and I taught for six weeks on the Holy Spirit. And that may be something that would be useful to you. But along with that, notice, I'm not going to talk about all these things here, but notice several things, the subheadings there. First, the Holy Spirit is a person, not an it. From time to time, people will say, the Holy Spirit, it did this to me. The Holy Spirit is not a force. The Holy Spirit is not positive energy. The Holy Spirit is a person. And because of that, if you notice the last several lines in that subsection, he can be lied to, he can be resisted, he can be grieved, he can be insulted, just like any person can be. We can actually, how we interact and respond to the Holy Spirit matters, but he's not in it. Second, the Holy Spirit, just like Jesus, is co-equal with God and is God. And so, again, just knowing that, the last line in that subsection is he's the third person of the Trinity or the Godhead. And again, you can see more about that. But Jesus, again, refers to him as God as well. Then notice, third, the Holy Spirit was deeply involved in Jesus' earthly ministry. Jesus didn't try and do anything without the Holy Spirit. Why would I? But notice that Jesus also, that last line, says we have to be born again of the Spirit of God too. We can't just stay our normal selves without God's supernatural work in our lives. It is a total miracle how God can change an ordinary flawed person like you or me and make us different people. But this is the good news of what Jesus Christ died to make happen. So I want you to see that those are some things. Now, when does a person receive the Holy Spirit? The moment they're born again. The moment a person turns from going their own way, puts their trust in what Jesus Christ has accomplished on their behalf on the cross, and the Holy Spirit opens their eyes to understand it, and they humbly trust and surrender their lives to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes in as a gift to now indwell us. When Jesus says, I will give you another helper, in the Greek, another can mean another that's different than or another that's just like. Which word do you think Jesus used there? Another just like me. I will send you the Holy Spirit. He will work in you, live in you, so that he will make you just like me. He is just like me. You don't have to be freaked out. I'll just tell you, years ago, when I was first learning more about the Holy Spirit, I had some people that were explaining to me in a way that made me want to run for the hills, and it freaked me out. Now, if you've ever had that happen, I just want to be sensitive to that, and I pray that I'm not one of those people in your life. But I'm hoping that now this will put this on a table and you'll say, I think I need to know more about the Holy Spirit if I'm reading the scripture. And so if you read these texts yourself and just say, would you teach me more about the Holy Spirit, more about yourself? I think God will honor that prayer because he wants us to know the Holy Spirit and to walk with the Holy Spirit through life. And so that's, that's that section. Now, if you turn back, here's the things uh, that, that it says in verses uh, 11, uh, 10 through 16. So I'll read verses 10 and 11. Would you read verse 12 with me when we get to it? Then I'll read verse 13 and ask you to read verse 14 on that second gray box. And then I'll wrap it up with verses 15 and 16 before we unpack it. So here we go. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. 
What we have received, okay, now, sorry, I, I read too far. Verse 12, would you read that with me out loud? And we have received God's spirit, not the world's spirit, so we can know the wonderful things God has freely given us. Verse 13, this is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit, explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. Now read verse 14 with me, if you would, please. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. Verse 15, the person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. Verse 16, for who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. Now, I want to get to that last verse in this message, so help me. I'll try and move through this section to get there, okay? But here's the things we see in these verses, if you're following along. I'm going to go kind of quickly. First, the Holy Spirit, he reveals what God's prepared for those who love him. He reveals what God's prepared for those who love him. One of the reasons why you want to get to know the Holy Spirit is because God has prepared all kinds of things for you if you love the Lord. And you can miss them, I can miss them, if we don't have him reveal it to us. So we just say, Lord, show me all that God wants me, God wants for me, and what he's prepared for me. I don't want to miss it. That's a tremendous way to think. But he's the one that suddenly opens our eyes, pulls back the curtain. We go, oh my goodness, I didn't realize that's also came when I trusted Christ. What a blessing. Second thing there, he knows all things, even God's deepest thoughts. He knows all things, even God's deepest thoughts. When it says that he searches all things, it doesn't mean that he's going around trying to figure stuff out. It means that he's deep. It means that he knows all things. He knows everything about you. He knows everything about me. He knows all of God's thoughts. How is that possible? He's God. He's God. And because of that, he can can connect us so we know that about him, okay? Okay. The third thing, he helps us understand what God's given us. He helps us understand what God's given us. This is, again, more of the same of what I was saying before about what he reveals. But I don't know about you, but there are just so many things. Sometimes I'm down here singing, and we sing a line about the Christian life or about God, and all of a sudden I'll go, "Uh, I don't understand that. And God's not surprised by that. But what's the best response? Say, God, I just admit, I don't understand that. Would you help me understand that more as I get older here, as I walk with you? And that kind of teachable spirit is what is so helpful. And the Holy Spirit wants to help us. So when we know that that, he helps us understand. Uh, The next thing here is that, uh, and let me just stop here for a second. When I was younger, um, there used to be radios before digital. And if you turn knobs, you could actually go through different stations and all of a sudden they'd come on. I know it's an old idea, but it actually happened. So... What happened is I remember there'd be times where you, between those channels, you'd hear like that. And then all of a sudden, you'd get to the right channel and boom, all of a sudden clarity. So I thought maybe it'd just help us. If, if you weren't alive then, listen to this sound. Here, here's what it sounded like. This isn't an illustration about jazz, but that is really pretty good music, wouldn't you say? The point is, is that, is that without Christ, so much of this stuff feels like, like that. 
And what Jesus wants us to know is that the Holy Spirit is like a tuner inside a radio. He takes all these uninterpreted waves and all of this, you know, noise, and he helps us tune in to what God is saying above all the noise. He wants us to know him. He wants to explain things to us. He wants us to experience that. And that leads to the next thing, is that he teaches us words to explain spiritual realities. He teaches us words to explain spiritual realities. Jeff, give me an example. You're holding it in your hand. What he taught the apostles is how we could understand this relationship with him. These are not just human words, friends. These are spirit-provided words. They're inspired by the Holy Spirit, 2 Timothy 3 says. And so Paul figured out a way to explain, wow, these things normally wouldn't make sense to us, might even sound like foolishness, but God showed us how to explain these things for people that also have a tuner that can understand that. And so I'm so thankful for that. Notice, we're either a person with or without the Spirit. Did you notice verse 14 and 15 talk about this? He talks about the person without the Spirit, and he talks about the person with the Spirit, verse 15. A person without the Spirit, notice, does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, considers them foolishness, and cannot understand them. Now this takes a little, just a brief explanation. It doesn't mean that God doesn't want them to understand. It means that because they insist on trusting in their own knowledge and will not receive the Spirit of God, that they don't have a tuner. It sounds crazy to die to myself and trust God. It sounds crazy to think like that because it sounds like I'm losing more than I'm gaining. And a person without the Spirit, and this is not Paul saying, those dumb people without the Spirit. No, he's just saying, look, you can't even brag. Because if you have the Spirit, you understand things that people without the Spirit can't understand. Do not think you're better than them. Understand, this is the powerful blessing the Spirit of God is. Just know that. Stay humble. And so, again, this this, uh, next idea, and this is what I told you I wanted to get to, right? He gives us the mind of Christ, which is here to serve. He gives us the mind of Christ here to serve. If you look up at John 16, 14 here, we see that Jesus, a night before he was crucified, he's telling his disciples all about the Holy Spirit. He says, look, when I send him to you, he will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. In other words, we're in cahoots together. He's going to share with you what I want you to know. And he's going to glorify me. So you don't have to be afraid of the Holy Spirit. He's going to help you live the Christian life with me. But just know that. But notice that the Bible here says, verse 16, but we have the mind of Christ. Paul says in the Old Testament, he quoted a verse, he says, who's known the mind of the Lord? Have you ever been with somebody and just said, like, what in the world are they thinking? And you'd really like to know what they're thinking, but you can't know what they're thinking unless they tell you what they're thinking, right? Right? It's too deep for us. Guess what the Holy Spirit wants to do? He wants to tell us what God's thinking. He wants us to know how Jesus thinks. So when we get to verse 16, he doesn't say, for I have the mind of Christ, or for you have the mind of Christ. He says, but we have the mind of Christ. And I kept thinking, does that mean like now we're just a higher IQ? But that's not what it means. And I want to show you how this verse goes at the heart of their competitive rival spirit. If you look at Philippians 2, 
We see this idea of the mind of Christ show up in Philippians chapter 2. And we see how it relates to being conceited and thinking we're smarter than we are or competing and being rival uh, with other people, condescending. So Paul says this, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest. In other words, he's not saying don't pay attention to your interest. It's just saying don't be hung up as that's the only thing in the world that matters but also to the interest of others. Have this, what's the next word, friends? Mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself important. Now it says, but made himself nothing. He emptied himself of all those privileges, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Along with this idea of mind, look what the New International Version says of verse five. Let's look at that. Let's read it together. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Now, Here's, here's what Paul is getting across when he says we have the mind of Christ. Because of the Holy Spirit's gracious work in our life, when he works, he will never lead you to compete, rivalry, arrogance. He'll never lead you that direction. It's not about more head knowledge. It's about more relational knowledge. Therefore, he'll teach us to have the mind of Christ. How did Christ's mind work? He saw our broken world and said, I want to surrender my life to the Father with the help of the Holy Spirit in order to surrender my life, to give my life for people that may not even believe or care about me yet, but I'm going to die. I'm going to serve, here to serve, instead of be served, instead of act like I'm, you know, the only thing. I'm going to surrender all that could make a person arrogant, and I will come humbly as a servant. And he says, therefore, the way you and I treat each other changes when we have the mind of Christ. We don't look at each other as people to compete with, but people to serve and to love and to build into. Love puffs up. Knowledge puffs up. Love builds up. Now, here's this next line. He reminds and empowers us to think and love like Jesus. He reminds and empowers us to think and love like Jesus. If you look again at John 14, 26, Here's something else Jesus said about the Holy Spirit the night before he died. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. He is the great reminderer. He will all of a sudden, when you start thinking like the world thinks, he'll all of a sudden go, no, 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 no. Here's how to think about that person. Here's how to think about that relationship differently like I think. He'll help you and you'll go, well, I think I actually like how the world thinks. <laughs> and, but it'll be an opportunity to surrender. It'll be an opportunity to submit and be like Jesus. And so it's a powerful thing. He reminds us and he helps us think like that. And his whole goal is to help us love like Jesus and live like Jesus and think like Jesus differently than we think if we're just going after worldly wisdom. Does this make any sense? When, he, when, when you look at the cross, if all you see is that God came to forgive you, that's still a good message. If all you see is that he came to take you to heaven, that's a good message, but that can become a self-centered message. He came to show you 
that the way to live is not to try and boast in all the things the world says we can boast in and try and acquire those, but to now live a life that says, I want to think like Jesus in my relationships. And when I get off base, he keeps bringing me back to a better way. Friends, I just need to tell you before I go any further, I have been arrogant and condescending this week. And I needed the Holy Spirit to remind me of the mind of Christ. And I've watched what happens when I'm arrogant or condescending. It may be subtle, but it causes me to look at other people in ways that are not like Jesus. And it causes me to act in ways and it doesn't build up. So how do we walk with the Spirit? You notice again, chapter 3, verse 1 says, I wanted to address you because uh, not as people that walk by the Spirit. In other words, you have the Spirit, but you're not letting the Holy Spirit influence you. You're not walking with the Spirit or walking by the Spirit. So how do we walk with the Spirit of God? Let me bring that home. First, it's going to involve appreciating but admitting the limits of my knowledge. God says, look, appreciate that you can learn. Use that, benefit from it, but understand and admit the the limits of your knowledge. Because if you're willing to do that, now you're in a position to be teachable. My grandfather died almost at the age of 74. The last five years of his life, he must have said this to me so many times. He was a neat Christian guy. He goes, the more I know, the more I realize how much I don't know. I thought, I like that. And that made him more teachable. That made him more curious. See, that's not a bad thing. It's just saying, hey, I appreciate my mind. There's just limits to it. But I need the Holy Spirit besides just my mind. And so admitting that. And then let me just say this too. Um, I told you that I can be arrogant and condescending. The other thing I can do is I start taking myself real seriously. And so I'm, I get around and I go, okay. <sighs> I get going real fast and stuff like that. So one night, same kitchen that uh, happened with our daughter, Natalie. Trisha and I have talked about this often. One night we're in the kitchen and I, I was just acting like, like really, like I'm really important. I know, go ahead and laugh. And so what happened is, is that in the middle of it, all of a sudden it hit me. Oh my gosh. And so I just looked at her and I said, hey, I'm an important person, you know. And then we just yucked it up. See why? Because it had just helped me get back to center line. Is a better way by admitting that. So notice this. Each day, practice conscious dependence on his spirit. Each day, practice conscious dependence on his spirit. If you accept the message that I'm sharing with you right now that Paul gave us, then here's the takeaway. Do you believe you need the Holy Spirit? If you believe you need the Holy Spirit, then the way to train in that, practice that, is to say every day, I need you, Holy Spirit. I need you to reveal to me, to help me, to teach me, to remind me. I need you. And thank you so much that you're in my life, but I I consciously depend on you. If someone were to ask me what I've learned more than anything of being a pastor is that I need to depend on the Holy Spirit and only what he can do in our church family or in my life or any person I interact with because I may be able with my charm, my knowledge, my abilities, my experience, if I trust in that, they will not experience Jesus Christ. They may go, well, that's a pretty neat person, or they may go, well, he's different. But I'm saying they won't experience Jesus, see? And so part of it is each day going, oh, Lord, no matter how much I learn, this day, 
I rely on what you can do because people will never be changed unless you supernaturally do what only you can do. I will never understand unless you open my mind. Oh, I consciously depend on you. On these steps right here, before we ever laid the carpet, are written words on every step. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe and trust and depend on the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe. So that by the time we stand in this place, we know it's not anything we can do but what he can do, and he will always glorify Jesus. And the last thing here is enjoy God's love, Jesus' grace, and the Spirit's fellowship. Learn how to be thankful for and enjoy God's love, Jesus' grace, and the Spirit's fellowship. You may want to write out to the right 2 Corinthians 13, 14, if you wonder where I got that. At the end of the chapter, and in the second letter to Corinthians, he says, now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. In other words, he's saying, this is what happens when Jesus died on the cross. Oh, did he open up a new possibility. Now you can personally, not just head knowledge, you can personally know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You can know the love of God the Father, and you can know every day the fellowship of the Holy Spirit as you walk around Springfield, Chatham, Rochester, wherever you live. You can know that, and now may you know it May those be yours. And when you and I walk around, the net effect is gratitude, praise, wonder, awe that he would be willing to do that for us. But that's why the cross of Christ is so important. Because if Jesus hadn't died, we could not have the Holy Spirit. We could not have what he opened up on the cross. And the Spirit of God helps us appreciate that. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information or to stay connected to Cherry Hills Church, please visit our website at cherryhillsfamily.org or follow us on Facebook.